they went like, we're going to call a catnip. Was, were they like, we're calling a catnip because it's a Kataria nip? Or did they call it catnip because it has something to do with cats? Chicken or That's, egg? Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> That's a good question. That I do not know. I, I think that it's because cats were actually nipping it. Aha. That's my take on it, though. Like, I, I, I'd have to ask Maud Grieve. You know, I'd have to like get off the Ouija board and like channel Maud yes. Grieve here. So, do you? Do you... <laughs> Should we do that on the pod? Yeah. <laughs> 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 Call it in the spirit of Maud Grieve. <laughs> you are listening to Herb Mentor Radio by Learning Herbs. I'm John Gallagher. And I'm Tara Ruth. Corey Pine Shane is a holistic clinical herbalist who founded the Blue Ridge School of Herbal Medicine in 1999. He is the author of Southeast Medicinal Plants, 106 Wild Herbs for Health and Wellness, available from Timber Press, and has taught at schools and conferences across the country and in Europe. He has written extensively on herbal medicine and is a professional member of the American Herbalist Guild. You can learn more at blueridgeschool.org as well as pinesherbals.com. Corey Pine, welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me so here. So great to have you here. Thanks for yeah, being like, here. I just been thinking about the first time I uh, I met you at um, the Rainbow Gathering way out in Washington, and you had some students there, and um, you know I had a seven song maybe hike like three hundred miles into the wilderness with my cameras, <laughs> and it was by the time I was very tired by the time I got there. And three hundred, three. I know it keeps getting longer, <laughs> I know, but it was really it was really nice connecting with you there and and getting to know you a bit. And, um, and I'm just so happy to get a copy of your new book, Southeast Medicinal Plants. And in the beginning of this book, you, you say, uh, by learning how to find medicine and food in the wild, we change our relationship to forests and front yards alike. And I'm wondering about the, if you could talk about these relationships. Sure. I mean, for me, it, it's, it's a big part of the mission of the book, but it's really part of like my mission as a human being, as well as the mission of the school itself. In some ways, like just learning like what plants are edible, what plants are medicinal, what they do. I mean, that's both tasty for the edibles and uh, helpful, you know, like when you, when you have a headache, when you have joint pain, when you feel sick, you know, it's great that there are plants all around mm-hmm. that can help with that. But in some ways, that's just the gateway for me to teach people like mm. a different way of connecting with the wild. Um, and it's not like nature is like something that's out there that's separate from us. Even though we think that way, we're, we're, we're raised that way in our modern culture to think about there's the inside of the house and then there's mm-hmm. the outside, then there's nature out there. And then we kind of forget that we are also animals that we are also like our ancestors were part of um you know they lived in the woods they lived with deer and bear and coyotes and foxes and um and i think that Mm -hmm. as we learn these edible and medicinal plants it becomes a way of remembering who we are in connection to what's around us in connection Mm -hmm. so that we feel at home and we feel like supported and part of this uh, this network that's out there in the woods, that's out there, not just in the woods, but also in our front yards. And there's edible and medicinal plants in the cracks, in sidewalks, in, you know, you know the Lower East Side of Manhattan. There's like amazing plants, amazing medicinal <laughs> plants. We're now the cracks in the sidewalks and like, 
you know, you walk down, you know, University Avenue in Seattle and there's going to be like medicinal plants just popping up from, you know, the, the mm. grates in the sidewalks. It's like it's, it's everywhere. It's not like just in wilderness. And um, yeah, so I think medicinal plants are a great way uh, to help us connect with the wildness of, of which we are a part with the, the, the bigger world. And was this like a realization you had? early on in life or is this something you know it hit you one day or a mentor inspired you or what was that story when first inspired you to have these realizations yeah that sounds the, like that's where your passion's coming from like you realize that and you're just like i'm doing okay why doesn't everybody know this right <laughs> you know yeah well i think that actually doing it came first and that realization i'm talking about came afterwards and i don't remember any one specific moment where like a light bulb went off and it's like oh my god this is mm. When I was about 22, I decided that I'd been in school all my life and I, I packed up my car and I drove out to Seattle because it was the 90s and Seattle was so cool. Um, Kurt Cobain was still alive. You know? um, Starbucks wasn't a big thing. There was an espresso cart in every corner, you know, and Seattle was, <laughs> Seattle was cool. It still is cool, but, you know, it was even cooler back then. <laughs> Not as cool. <laughs> yeah, I know that all the cool people moved to It's Portland. cooler now that Tara moved there. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you bring your coolness with you. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, y'all. <laughs> and honestly, I never ended up actually, like, living in any one particular place. I kind of uh, drifted. So I lived in the woods for a while, and I was, like, living really, I was living out of my car. I was living out of tents, and I was living very cheap. I had one of Michael Moore's books, Medicinal Plants in the Mountain West. And I uh-huh. just was able to, I, which is, by the way, one of the things that inspired me to write my book was was Michael's books. Mm. Um, were, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Same here. I mean, I don't know what yeah. I would have done earlier on without Michael's books. They're right. just so inspiring. And they just told you, uh, you know, he's talking deep about plants that, you know, like you never would normally right. find anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's. Yeah. And so I, I had his book and it helped me like to identify the plants and I harvest them. And then I was hanging out with people who are like homeless and travelers and, you know, you know, road dogs. And I just hmm. knowing these plants and having like access to like free medicine all around, I was able to like make people tea and give people plants and that really helped people with like real health conditions. And for me, that was a moment like that experience out there. That's when it went for me, like from like book herbalism of like, oh, this is theoretical. And that's mm-hmm. really interesting that burdock has these five different uses to like, oh, wow, mm-hmm. this medicine is free and it helps people get better. Mm-hmm. They don't have to spend money. They don't have to like, um, you know, it's like free and available. It's like the people's medicine. It was like a real that was a real wake up mm-hmm. call for me. It makes me think about in your book how uh, just how you write it really like brings the plants to life on the page for me. And you talk Mm. about um, getting to know a plant's personality, which I think before I'd studied herbalism, I wouldn't have really understood that. I was like, how can a plant have a personality? Um, But can you talk a little bit about what you mean there, how plants have personalities and how it's important to get to know them and studying herbs? Sometimes I say that like Western herbalism, like our way of treatment is to figure out how to match the personality of the plant to the personality of the person, or maybe the personality of <laughs> a the- A matchmaker. The, right, exactly. Yeah, like what, what's the word, mm-hmm. Yen, yenta? <laughs> yeah, we were just talking we're about 
<laughs> yeah. I don't know what the male My version goodness. would be. It's the yento, you know. Like the, um, yes, plant yento. Yeah, a little rusty. But, <laughs> I'm a, yeah, no, I mean, but I really do. Like, I think of myself literally as a matchmaker. I'm like introducing, because like, I don't do the work. I'm not healing people. Like, I, I'm like, I'm not going in there and like killing bacteria or healing someone's tendons or clearing out stuff. Like I'm figuring out what plant is going to help this person. And then I'm introducing the two of them. And the plant is, mm-hmm. you can look at it two ways. You can look at it like, oh, the plant is the one who's actually doing the work. I'm just telling the people the right plants to do. Or you could even look at it mm-hmm. as like the person is doing the work and the, the plant is just giving their body the right nudge or the right mm. uh, stimulus in the right direction. <laughs> Listen to you, the clanging. I have, I'm in a 130 year old building and every once in a while the radiator goes off. And so oh, yeah. you know, big clanging in the background, but you know, that's just part of the personality of the podcast here. Is, you know. <laughs> I think of it as applause, you know, just the building, the personality of the building. I consider the radiator, of yes. the personality of the radiator wants to be part of <laughs> Maybe it's Maud Grieve. It's Maud yes. Grieve. Maud Grieve. It's like, bang on the radiator once for yes and twice for no. Yeah. Let's see. Did, did I answer that thing about um, the personality? Did I, I don't know if I, did I cover that? Yeah. I could talk more about that. That was great. I mean, I would love to hear more. I love learning about plants' personalities. So if you have anything else to share, I'm game. (laughs) When I think about like plants' personality, you know, I'm not really talking about Mm -hmm. the same thing as like a person's personality. I'm talking about more like Mm -hmm. plants are, it's the way that I can, I can talk about the plants being complex. They're not like we can Mm -hmm. say, oh, this herb, we can use words like, oh, this herb is antiviral. It kills viruses. This pl- mm-hmm. this herb is a diuretic. This herb is, you know, we can use these Western medical terms that mean really specific things, but herbs aren't usually like like silver bullets. They're like this complex of like hundreds of different chemicals that are having effects throughout our body. And you could mm-hmm. pick 20 different, what are called antiviral herbs, and they're all going to act on the body a little bit differently. They're going to have Osha is different than echinacea, is different than lomatium, is different than elderberry. Um, some of them are more gentle, some of them are more strong, some of them are more for like uh, a flu with muscle aches, and some of them are more for to like help sweat out a fever. Um, so rather than try to like describe them in like physiological terms, oh, this is what this plant does, it's, it, it's kind of more like matching the, um, the symptom picture. Like, oh, this plant is like mm. warming and it circulates things and it pushes things out to the skin so it can kind of like push out uh, a, vir- a viral infection. Um, mm-hmm. And I find that that almost allegorical way of talking about the plants, like c- talking about that story of how the plant moves through the body, even though it might not be scientific, mm. it really helps me better understand what plant to use with which person. Okay. That makes sense. We're complex people, so our right. medicine needs to be complex as well. Right. And that might, might it be in the with a match? So okay, so you're talking like it's it, what it, like you have to also take into account the person's personality as well, right? Right. Yes. What's an example of of uh, you know a simple example of of matching a personality of a person to a plant? 
Right. And, and this might be a good time for me to bring in some energetics as well. And the word energe- yeah. I mean, energy can mean a lot of things, right? Like, oh, I've got a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. Like, like uh, I'm going <laughs> to save energy by turning off the lights. You know, there's like a lot of things that energy can mean. So when I say this, I mean kind of more like the temperature energetics, um, like in Chinese medicine, in Ayurveda, in Mayan medicine, like a lot of them use this hot, cold, damp, dry type Greek medicine, the traditional medicine that was spread through a lot of Europe. Um, so I'm going to throw a little bit of that there and as part of the part of the personality of the plant. It's just a shortcut. It's just a shortcut to help understand more about the personality and, you know, Mm. group things together as human beings we love to like put things in categories and group things together um so let's talk about nausea because that's always a fun topic after lunch (laughs) can't wait (laughs) yeah nausea fun (laughs) (laughs) my favorite (laughs) like but do y'all have like do you have like a favorite herb do you use for nausea Mm, like peppermint or ginger what about you john Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i was thinking ginger um I just, um, I just think of nervines that, you know, cause for me, it might be anxiety related. Ooh. So maybe skull cap or cat, catnip. <laughs> yeah. Or, kava. or chamomile. Don't you don't think of kava for that or chamomile. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Chamomile might be nice but chamomile is a nervine, but it also like helps like soothe digestion particularly. So yeah, no, those are great examples. And I, I mean, I can even just start off with like ginger and peppermint. So ginger is a great one for nausea, but if someone came to see me like at that first aid station, let's say, and it's been like a really hot day and they've been out like hiking around or they've been, been really active and they're, they've got some heat, heat exhaustion and they're like hot, they're sweaty and they're nauseous. I'm not going to give them ginger because ginger is like, it's stimulating, it's warming, but I might give them peppermint, you know, pepper because peppermint mm-hmm. is anti-nausea, but it's cooling. Um, Whereas for motion sickness, I might, well, actually either peppermint or ginger would probably work, but, you know, I might lean a bit more towards ginger there. Um, yeah. So it's like a, a good small example and just, but I like it because it's energetic, you know, someone who has heat exhaustion, mm-hmm. like you don't want to give them a hot herb like ginger. You want to give them a cooling herb like peppermint or chamomile. So, you know, I was wondering now maybe uh, if we could start to connect some of this to the plants of the Southeast, because I feel like Corey Pine, and maybe this is why you, you, you know, chose to write the book is that, you know, there's, I I don't feel like there's been a lot of books that really are focused in on that amazing biodiversity that you have in the, in like where you live. Is it, was that the case? I think that, I think I first got the idea because people were asking me like, Hey, you know, I want a book that helps me identify plants, but it also tells me what the medicine of it is, you know? And so like, well, I mean, there's Peterson's, there's a Peterson's guide to like medicinal plants of the East, which is great book, you know, Stephen mm-hmm. Foster, James Duke, you know, both great writers. And, uh, but a lot of people, you know, there's, it covers a lot of territory and there's a lot of herbs in there with mm-hmm. not much about each herb. It's just, oh, this is medicinal and it could be good for a liverish kind of thing. And then you kind of go and do more research mm-hmm. when you get back home. Um, so I wanted to write something that was more specific, that that uh, covered fewer herbs and went into more depth with each herb. So you really understood, oh, if someone has allergies, when would you use goldenrod or when would you use nettles? Um Mm. And when would you use ragweed? Because ragweed leaf is a great anti-allergy herb. 
And uh, so that was another motivation in writing this book was to cover herbs that aren't commonly talked about. And it, some of the feedback I've got about the book is people are excited to learn about plants that are a little weird, that are a little that not in other herb books, <laughs> you know? Like mm. not a lot of people write about ragweed. And that's what Tara, mm-hmm. well, that's what Tara is really excited to ask you about. So Tara, um, <laughs> yeah. let, 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 yeah. why don't you kick it off with the one you've been wondering the most about? Oh my yeah, gosh, yeah. Well, when John first, yeah, when John first mentioned that we were going to be interviewing you and then I got your book, I was flipping through the pages and I found a nice little monograph on mimosa and I was like, oh my gosh, mm. I haven't been able to find a lot of information about this plant, like learned about it in school and, you know, done as much I, research as I can and also take it. But I just, I love this plant so much. And so it made me so excited to see it on the page. And I'd love to just hear more about your thoughts on mimosa i can ask a specific question or we can just kind of dive into talking about mimosa's personality yeah i can just talk about mimosa and and then if you have specific questions i'm happy to answer just um great yes let's do it i'm albizia i just want to say albizia albizia Mm -hmm. would you care for some albizia (laughs) Albizia. (laughs) which is an important point because It's interesting because mimosa is the common name, but albizia, albizia perhaps, is the botanical name. I'm pointing this out because there is a tree, and there are trees in the mimosa genus, and this is not a true mimosa. Mm-hmm. It's related; they're in the same family, but everyone calls it mimosa. But it's it, it's a weed. It's considered a weed tree. I don't think it's a weed tree. I think it's a gorgeous tree, but it's um, native to Asia, and it's it's kind of gone. Uh, it, Instead of thinking about plants as weeds, I like to think of them as uh, exuberant, successful, <laughs> you know, mm. hardy, um, spirited, spirit. Yeah, there you go, spirited, persistent. Well, that's what I would. That's how I would define my son. You know, my people be yeah. like, he's he's got so much energy. He's spirited. Right. <laughs> oh my God, your kitten is crazy. Like, no, no, no. My kitten is just spirited. Yeah. Spirited. <laughs> very spirited. Here we go back to catnip again, yep. but let's go back to mimosa. Yeah, yeah. Mimosa is a very spirited plant. It does like to pop up all over the place. Um, so the both the flowers and the bark are used in Chinese medicine. So I'm primarily trained as a Western herbalist, but I've also studied Chinese medicine, like formally studied Chinese medicine. And I learned about... I was just fascinated by mimosa and I started doing research on it. Couldn't find anything in the Western literature. So I went to Chinese medicine and found it's actually a pretty big herb there. It's not, I don't know if it's like one of like the top 40 hits, but it's like, you know, it, it's up there. It's at least in the top hundred. Um, <laughs> and, you know, uh, so the flowers and the bark are both used and they're, you, they're in the same category of herbs to like, um, I believe it's like herbs to calm the spirit. I'm pretty sure is the category, which means spirit, meaning like mind, herbs to calm the mind. Um, but they're used a little bit differently. They're two different entries. And the flowers are more uplifting. People will sometimes use the word antidepressant. I don't always like, I often don't like defining something by what it isn't or by what it treats. Mm. You know, like, because like antiviral, it's like, well, what is it doing that's antiviral? Is it actually killing viruses or is it having some other effect on the body? And it's kind of the same thing with antidepressant. It's like, there are a lot of herbs that treat depression, but like, what does it specifically do? 
And so I find the flowers, which, by the way, if, if you don't know this, if you don't know this plant, it, it looks like little fairy paintbrushes. It looks really cool. Um, <laughs> I'm wondering about the origin. We're talking about words before. Maybe maybe the drink is named after the plant. I don't know. I'd have to look that one up. <laughs> Didn't think about that. When I <laughs> no champagne and orange juice has anything to do with this. <laughs> right. No, but know. like they got the name of Osa from somewhere. Uh, mm-hmm. So... <laughs> The flowers, I find, uh, I, would, I would actually call them an exuberant. They're an exhilarant, perhaps. It's, they're, they're, um, maybe that's not the right word, because they're not stimulating, but they are very uplifting. Like, I think if someone was at a place where they wanted to go to a party and they're not drinking alcohol, they're not smoking pot, they're not doing whatever people are doing at that party, and they wanted to have something that would make them feel good and like party vibe, they could drink a tea of the mimosa flowers and it would give this feeling of like, yeah, like kind of like happy and uh, yeah, that's it. Just let go of it. Have a good time. It's, it's, it's a little bit heart opening as well. So for that, I might combine mimosa with rose. Mimosa and rose together, mimosa flowers and rose be just great to like open up the heart and like let go of old stuff, let go of what's no longer serving you. Just uh, mm-hmm. So the flowers are more kind of immediately uplifting, whereas the bark is said to penetrate more deeply um, and it breaks things up. It, it's actually said, even used for physical trauma, like bruises in Chinese medicine, because it's thought to oh, like wow. break up stagnation and pain and bruises. Well, specifically, like pain from physical injury is thought to be a stagnation. Mm-hmm. If you think about it as a black and blue mark, that's just literally stagnant blood. But even that feeling, like you're bruised feeling bruised is often like some type of like blood stagnation and mimosa bark can be used both topically or internally to like break that up but in the same sense it also breaks up emotional stagnation so i've used it for people who have past trauma whether it's like ptsd i always like to say there's no herb for ptsd it's just okay where is the person in that journey but this is one tool in the toolbox to work with people with PTSD um, mm. or for people with depression. And I would say depression is kind of more like stuck, maybe more of like a melancholy, not so much like an anxious depression. Matter of fact, mm-hmm. I've heard from, uh, I believe it was like Janet Kent and Dave Meesters. Um, they're herbalists here in, in around Asheville too. And they, they were talking about how they've seen it sometimes people with bipolar what used to be called manic depression, mm-hmm. but bipolar type depression will sometimes, mimosa can sometimes aggravate the manic phase because it's too uplifting. It's like too um, mm. warming and, and, you know, exuberant. It's too exuberant. Yeah. I can talk about plants I'm for hours. I'm wondering too, you mentioned, <laughs> you mentioned making a tea of the flowers. Do you, mm-hmm. do you also do tinctures or glycerates or like liniments? Yeah, what are all the preparations you like to do with mimosa? Yeah, I've never actually used it topically, so I haven't used it as a liniment. But normally, I do make a tincture because it, it just seems to preserve better. It's hard to it's hard to dry flowers well, <laughs> you know. It's a little challenging. Yeah, um, I tincture yeah, yeah. it, and I also make. I don't sell it, but I, I've made an elixir for myself a couple of years ago. Like you know, twenty twenty. Um, it's having some heart <laughs> stuff, you know, some emotional heart stuff, mm-hmm. not physical. And I made this uh, elixir that was Juneberry, which is also called serviceberry. Um, simmered that down into a syrup, 
put in some mimosa bark and simmered that for a little bit, took it off the heat, added in some rose flowers. And that made this incredible. And I never sold it. That was like just for me. That was just my little heart elixir that I took in through. It's going to get me through 2020. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds delicious. Wow. Yeah. The mimosa elixir. There is more Southeastern herbs to come. I'm going to ask Corey Pine about sweet gum. So, uh, Tara. Yes, John? I love books like Corey Pine's. I mean, like most herbal folks usually snatch up all the local herbal books and guides they can find, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) But did you know that you can actually make your own personal bioregional field guide to the botanical medicine of the area where you live? And where could I do that? Well, since you ask, Rosalie and I created this really cool little training called Learning Your Plants. And it's really about all that botany stuff a home herbalist needs to know. Like kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species very, type of stuff? Very, very good that you just channeled your, your uh, high school biology class right there. I try. You try. Exactly, exactly. But it takes all that stuff and in a really simple way shows you how to um, learn the plants and trees of your bioregion through learning 17 common botanical families and journaling all the individual species that grow around you. So you're really making like your own personal field guide so you never forget the information because you're, you're, you're researching it, you're drawing it, you're writing it down. Mm-hmm. And um, what this really ultimately does is helps you with your field identification and to increase your observation skills. Yeah, like not a lot of people know that apples, hawthorn, almonds, and peaches are all related to rose. And lavender, lemon balm, motherwort, sage, thyme are just a few members of the mint family. That's right. And all the mints share the common trait of having a square stem and an opposite leaf pattern. So it's really like a plant identification hack, so to speak, because people really like all these hacks nowadays, right, to save time and to take shortcuts. So it's like a hack that's not a hack because you really learn this stuff, but it is a hack. Mm, I love a hack. I mean, it just makes it so simple to learn what grows around you. And if you're if you're an Herb Mentor member, and that's our herbal learning community here at Learning Herbs. You can start watching Learning Your Plants anytime you want. It's one of a dozen skills trainings that you're gonna find there. And you'll also find detailed digital herb monographs, video podcasts, and a forum to ask questions on Herb Mentor. And a transcript to this very podcast. Oh. Mm-hmm. And Herb Mentor costs like less than half of one of those premium Netflix subscriptions. and. You know, all you have to do is just visit HerbMentorRadio.com, and while you're there, you can subscribe to this podcast, say so you don't miss an episode, and there just might be a special Herb Mentor offer for you listeners. Mm-hmm. And that's on HerbMentorRadio.com. Thank you, Tara. Um, wait, wait, what were we doing? We were interviewing Corey Pine. Right, right, right. right. How about, um, I'm thinking another tree, sweet gum. Ooh, on a little sweet gum. Tour here. Yeah, yeah, that sweet gum because that's a tree that I'm from Jersey, so yeah, um, but um, not in the Pine Barren part. But we had a lot of these plants that are in here are so familiar to me because you know we'd have, we'd have them here and there, and right. I remember having a sweet gum tree in our yard, a really big one. So um, I'm wondering me if too. you could yeah talk a bit about that because I was always fascinated by sweet gum. I know, aren't they? Aren't they cool? They're like 
And I want, I want to say too, they're like, cause I mean the, the range of sweet gum is very big, but you were talking about New Jersey. It's mm-hmm. like one of the questions I've had about the book and I am going to talk about sweet gum, but one of the questions I've had about the book is like, Oh, I live <laughs> this place. Does, does this book cover it? And this was challenging, but I actually, my aim in writing the book is to go from like, like the, the, the kind of like the, the border of like Pennsylvania and Maryland, which, you know, is the same mm-hmm. latitude as like Southern New Jersey, and then take it all the way down mm-hmm. through Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, all the way down to like, I would say central Florida, and then go West yeah. as far as like uh, East Texas, Louisiana, you know, all the Gulf States, and then like, you know, North through Kentucky, Tennessee, uh, even a little bit of Arkansas. I mean, Arkansas is officially part of the part of the book too. Ozarks are very similar to mm. the Southern Appalachians anyhow. And sweet gum is in a lot of those places. Like sweet gum is, oddly enough, it's not so common up here in the mountains where I live, but in throughout the Piedmont and coastal plain, it is a really abundant plant in some places. Uh, and if you're listening and you're not familiar with this, just think about when you were young and like walking barefoot and something re- like a really sharp mace ball poked into your foot. That's sweet gum. Yes, that's what I remember the most. Yes. <laughs> it was the things we threw at each other as kids. Right. Yeah, you remember like they, they looked like little maces and you like would talk, chuck them at each other and they're like, they're not sharp enough to actually like do damage. But I mean, I'm sure you could probably poke someone's eyes out if you really tried hard enough. But don't do that. You know, safety thing. Kids, don't it's try like this at home. indication. Right. <laughs> but who knew you could make medicine with it? I know. And people say like, oh, what is it good for? So it's is like, it oh, the yeah. bark? No, it's actually the sweet gum balls. It's like the, the unripe balls are the best, but you could probably use like the, the ones that have fallen on the ground to, you know, if that's what you had. Um, and again, this comes... Okay, so I got this information from two completely different sources. I originally learned about it from Chinese medicine, uh, where they use a plant in the same genus. The genus is liquid amber but it's pronounced liquidimber. Mm. And they have something in the same genus in China, which is Lulu Tong. Is it, it's a Mandarin name, Lulu Tong. Um, for those of you, you know, acupuncturists listening in here, mm-hmm. <laughs> Chinese herbalists. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they use the balls and they use it for, um, they use it for pain, which is really funny when you're like teaching a class and like I have like this really <laughs> spiny thing in my hand. I'm like, this is for a pain. It's really a good <laughs> Good visual there. <laughs> like, no, really, it is. It actually, it is for pain. So, it is funny too. Like, you know, like and, and ragweed leaves. You, can you squeeze them? What's can that? you use it right in the field? Like, is it is it kind of a medicine? Like the in the like as a resin right in those sweet gum balls that I could just you know can I access that resin and use it like as field medicine or do I have to process Maybe. it first? Or I, I I think you'd probably have to process it first. I mean, there is a resin that's in the tree. But I, th- I feel like that's used differently. Like in Chinese medicine, they actually use the balls. They would they would make a tea, like a, a decoction. They would make like they would simmer it for twenty minutes and then have you drink that, or make a liniment and apply it topically. Uh, so yeah, good for like pain, good for injuries. It's um, it's a great one for that. It also seems to like open up the diaphragm and help people breathe a bit more deeply. Uh, so in that sense, it could like really help people let go of, a, um, not just physical trauma. It could help people with emotional trauma. If, if people are kind of like guarding their breath and they feel kind of tight in their belly, it can kind of open that up, help that move. So that's the more Chinese medicine version. Now throughout the mm-hmm. South, um, 
sweet gum is a big medicine as well. And it was more the resin, like you were talking asking about the resin before. The resin from the bark is more what is used. Although you could use the balls as well. Um, I mean, the balls, I think, were used in, in Southern folk medicine. And, uh, and that was used more for like coughs, colds, like, you know, viral infections, um, congestion, maybe, maybe catarrh. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I learned about from, I think Tommy Bass talked about that. So I learned about that through Phyllis Light, mm-hmm. um, learned about that oh. through, there was a book written about, uh, Tommy Bass. I'm looking up, there it is. Uh, by Daryl Patton. That's who it was. He wrote a book about the herbal remedies of Tommy Bass. And so I used that as a reference as well. Just kind of understand how did people traditionally use this plant? Um, yeah. So it's kind of fun that here's this plant that like is really, this tree, it's really abundant throughout the Southeast, not even so much in the Northeast. Mm-hmm. I mean, it gets planted a bit in like Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and then it grows like all the way down to like the, I think it grows as far down as like the Bayou, like Louisiana. Um, so it grows throughout and it's super common. And the, like the, the sweet gumballs, the gumballs are just really easy because they just fall on the ground and you pick them up before they get, you know, out there for too long. And yeah, it's just a really abundant medicine that's useful for a lot of things. You know, I, I wonder like, so a lot of these plants growing in through the South in Appalachians, obviously were used in folk medicine for a long time stretching back to native american uses and um has it sort of um like in modern era of herbalism like in these last couple decades i mean have have more and more people putting these um you know medicines to the test and trying them and doing any um research you know more in them because i know that a lot of the books before Michael Moore's, like we're talking about, like, a, a, you know, we're always just like, you know, folk uses say that it's good for blah, blah, blah. And you'd always be like, but is it? Right. <laughs> you know, they really yeah. that. So have you found that we're kind of entering an era where you can for sure say that, oh my God, I can see how this works. I've been using it for this, you know, mm. like medicines like sweet gum or mimosa. I think one or, of the fastest. Or Japanese knotweed, yeah. even. I think there is a lot more like oh, science about all these plants, about Japanese knotweed and mimosa and all that. People are researching, like trying to understand like how they work in the body. I want to say too, as a clinician, like I didn't mention this before, but I see clients, I help people with their health conditions. And I don't always find that understanding it from a scientific perspective, is it's not always helpful. <laughs> Sometimes it's more helpful to know like the personality of what it treats rather than like, if someone said like, oh, you know, like, this herb is good for dopamine deficiency. Like, okay, well, what does someone with dopamine deficiency look like? (laughs) What kind of symptoms do they have? (laughs) How do I identify that? Or like, oh, Mm -hmm. this herb stimulates interleukin-9. Like, okay, well, how would I know that someone come, like if I can't do a blood test to find out that they have excess interleukin-9 or deficient interleukin-9, like how am I going to know? So, you know, sometimes I actually look to more clinical signs and, it is interesting, too, to think about that. There's actually more talk these days in the scientific community, like even like the scientific herbal community, like, well, what is evidence, you know? And looking at evidence as being not just uh, double-blind, placebo-controlled trials, but also seeing um, folk uses 
as being evidence. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, how have people been using this? What is like the history of usage to say, oh, people have been, you know, using this for 500 years to treat asthma Mm -hmm. and they've seen it work. We don't really know how it works scientifically, but that doesn't mean that it's not proven. It's just Mm -hmm. not proven scientifically. Mm -hmm. It's just, there's a different, so looking at that, and I think it's really fascinating to think about like different levels of, of uh, different types of evidence, let's say. Um, and I think that Robin Wall Kimmerer talks about this in Braiding Sweetgrass, this idea of like, uh, which is a great book, highly recommend, but this idea of like, yeah. like okay, this, we have the scientific understanding and then there's also like the direct understanding of what the, what the plant is about. And neither one is wrong, but they both tell different parts of the same story. And I think it's good to like, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's good to know the science, but it's not the end all be all. Right. It makes me think opinion. about what you were talking about earlier about relation, like relationship building with the plants and how this like scientific methodology, and then also this like traditional and continued folk knowledge are both beautiful ways of, and different ways of building relationships with the plants and getting to know them right. so we can match make them with, with their people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to say that I really respect that. That that's that's a really important part of herbal medicine is like the folk medicine. Like I, I started studying herbal medicine when I was like pretty young. Like I met like Seven Song was my first teacher. I met him. I was like nineteen. So, mm-hmm. oh wow, and that was pretty young to like start studying, start getting into it. It was a slow process to get into it. But then you talk to people who are like, oh yeah, you know, I started studying herbal medicine when I was two. You know, I, I, yeah. people who learn that, people who like learn herbal medicine from their their grandparents and their aunts and uncles and mm-hmm. sometimes their parents, but some, you know, herbal medicine. Oh, they don't listen to generation. you parents. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's why it's like always the grandparents. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, hey, hey. What was it that inspired you at that? at that early age to start seeking out like studying herbalism with seven song and, and other folks. I didn't really seek it out. I mean, it's, it's funny. Cause like, I want, I want to like talk to people who are like just started starting to study herbal medicine. And it's not, for me, it was not at all a conscious decision to start. It was just what I was passionate about. I mean, I really love mm. Joseph Campbell's uh, admonition to follow your bliss you know, which is not just your joy. It's not just like, oh, what makes me happy? You know, like, like, oh, I really love putting together jigsaw puzzles. It's like, okay, that's, that's not, but that doesn't bring you bliss. That just brings you like contentment. Like what really yeah. feeds your soul? And for some reason, for me, uh, it was being in the woods. It was like connecting with nature. And so it started with that. And then I started learning these individual plants. And then I started learning that these plants had, um, Sometimes I don't always use the word uses, you know, like, like, like I yeah, yeah. use them, but like, mm-hmm. you know, they off, they had offerings. They had like, there's things that they could offer me that like, oh, that's a really tasty plant. I love seeing that plant. Cause I, and then it helped me start to develop relationships with those individual plants. And then I just started like, I mean, Seven Song is a very charismatic teacher. And I just started, you know, taking all the classes that he offered to the public. I like to say that, Seven Song was my first teacher, but I think, I don't know if it was his very first student, but I was at least one of his first students, like way back in the day, <laughs> um, before he was really even teaching. And, uh, 
but yeah, it was just yeah. kind of inspiring to be around like a practicing herbalist who knew the plants and like yeah. knew what they were for. And uh, yeah, I just, mm. I, I mean, I was always into nature. Like I was like, I grew up in the suburbs, but there was like, you know, woods down at the end of my street where I'd go. And I think I talked about that in the introduction to my book. Like I'd always go down to the end of my street and just go play in the woods. Um, and just felt really at home there. Um, rather than this like kind of human constructed world with like all these like rules and thoughts and how to be and just going out to the woods and just be myself and be by myself and be comfortable with that. Yeah. Um, so the herbal medicine mm. came later. Although, you know, now that I'm talking about it, I, when I was growing up, I had like really bad migraines. And so there was a piece mm. of me that I actually was brought to study healing because I was trying to heal myself. I was trying to figure out, oh, why do I get headaches? And then I go to the doctor and they say, yeah. oh, when you get headaches, take some Excedrin. I was like, okay, but why am I getting mm -hmm. headaches? And how do I stop myself from getting <laughs> headaches? And they're like, we don't know, but if you're in Just pain, take, the Excedrin. take this. Yes. <laughs> take Excedrin. <laughs> Listen, kid. <laughs> So I remember like asking all these questions because I'm like, and I, I'm bringing this up because I, I feel that like a lot of people, I mean, I've taught, you know, at this point, I've had been running the school for a long time. I've had hundreds of students and I interview each one individually yeah. and I hear a lot of stories about how people started off, you know, growing up in a kind of more conventional medicine world, just the world that mm -hmm. most of us in the U.S. grow up in uh, as far as medicine goes. And at some point having some awakening. And being like, oh, I had this thing and doctors couldn't figure out what it was. Or my mom had cancer and the doctor and the chemotherapy was just making her worse. And then she, you know, I decided to try to help her with herbal medicine and maybe it helped, maybe it didn't. But um, it's usually oftentimes it's like something that happened within them. It was like something they had an illness themselves or something that wasn't treatable or they... Uh, had something happen to a close family member. And that's kind of like what turned them on to herbal medicine. That's like kind of what mm -hmm. got them into like the alternative medicine, so to speak quotes around alternative because mm -hmm. traditional yeah. really, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. And for me, it was <laughs> headaches. Yeah. <laughs> was there a, like, if I'm looking at your book and I see all these plants that are in, in this book, you had a hundred some odd plants, I think. And, um, <sighs> you know, what one jumps out as like an aha moment, like that you discovered yourself from your own experience with the plant? Like I'm thinking, you know, one day I'm walking down a trail and, and, and um, of course I, I, I positively identified this plant, but I'm thinking about salal. Like I'm looking at salal, which is, you know, often mm. using flower arrangements all over, but it's a native plant here and it's everywhere. It's related to blueberries. And I'm, so I'm like, I wonder what this, you know, leaf tastes like. And I, and I chew a little and oh my gosh, I'd never tasted a more stringent thing that just took all <laughs> of the moisture out of my mouth. And then I'm like, you know, I don't see anything written about this anywhere except for Michael Moore. Uh, but, um, you know, it must be really good for tightening tissues for first aid situations and everything. And I, Ooh. it's kind of one of the first experiences where I went, Oh, you know, I, I think I know what I could use this for. And I don't have to use these other 10 things that are in the books because I can use this. It's all around me and I can get it any time of year. You know, I can go out and harvest this leaf. So was there Ooh. like a moment with uh, something like that where you live where you were just like, Oh my gosh. You know, this is, this is, I can use this for all kinds of things. And, you know, some, a plant that you've established a relationship with deeply. A few things come to mind. There's some things that I just saw and I was like, I don't know what that is, but 
I think it's awesome and I'm going to learn about it. <laughs> I mean, there's some plants like mm-hmm. um, Pipsisua. Pipsisua, we have striped mm-hmm. Pipsisua, like out where you are in the Pacific Northwest, there's the, I don't know, regular yeah. Pipsisua, the non-striped. Um, mm-hmm. It's not a plant I actually use a whole lot for medicine, but I love seeing it and I feel really, it, it is used. It's used for urinary tract infections, but... I recommend, unless you're picking it yourself, just use Uva Ursi because Uva Ursi is much more common, much more available, you know, and there's just mm-hmm. not nearly as much Pipsisua in the woods, but I feel like this deep connection to it. And I think it was the first plant that I met when I came to North Carolina. I, I moved down here in March and Pipsisua is an evergreen plant around here, striped Pipsisua. Um, and I was like, oh my God, what is this plant? Who are you? And then I researched it. I'm like, oh, it's good for medicine. Um, Or I also think about blue vervain. Blue vervain is one I discovered when I was living in upstate New York, when I was living in Ithaca. I remember like tasting that plant. It's really bitter. It's like super bitter, but it's very relaxing at the same time. And I was like, I don't remember how I came to this, but I was like, you know, maybe you could use this for headaches. And I started drinking blue vervain and skullcap tea. And I just still love that combination. I still love mm-hmm. mixing skullcap with blue vervain. I feel like migraine headaches. It's just a great blend. And I just started drinking that. And I started off as a tea because I didn't have any as a tincture. And it's, it's bitter. It's a strong tasting tea. But yeah, it really, yeah, it yeah. really helped. I still, I mean, blue vervain, I still, I grow it in my garden now, like up here in Barnesville, because we, we don't have it growing in North Carolina. It grows further north, like Virginia, Kentucky, up into like Pennsylvania, New York. It's a good one. One of my, I mean, I say this about every plant, but one of my favorites. <laughs> I know. So hard to pick favorites, isn't it? I know. I, know, I, know, I guess I know. we're not supposed to probably. That's probably the point, right? We're just supposed right. to be in relationship with that. It's a really good point, Tara. Really good point. Um, You know, we've been talking for a bit here. And, um, you know, I was wondering, Corey Pine, where would be the best place to uh, pick up a copy of your book, Southeast Mm. Medicinal Herbs? Yeah. um, I mean, I sell it on my website, thepineserbals.com. But you can also get it, like, Mm -hmm. at uh, indie bookstores. There's a... Mm-hmm. You know, if you prefer to buy it from your local bookstore, there's actually like, uh, I think it's called like Indie Booksellers or something. You can go on there, find, oh, who is my local store? And you can order it online mm-hmm. through them and they'll ship it to you. I think it's always a great thing when you hear an you know interview with an herbalist or you get to know them, you meet them at a, 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 you know, at a conference or a class. It's like, you know, I always like to ask where you would like to get the, you know, because a lot of folks, some people say, I don't sell it on my site, but you do. So it's a great way to support the herbalist, pinesherbals.com. And you also have uh, your formulas on there that you make and you have uh, single uh, herbal extracts and, you know, check out the medicine that Corey Pine makes too at pinesherbals.com. Like what kind of programs are you currently offering at the Blue Ridge School? We have two main programs. One is one weekend a month, April through November. And then one meets two days a week. Uh, So the weekend program is the essentials of herbalism. It's kind of more of like a practical, hands-on herbal medicine approach, like lots of plant walks and medicine making and some talks about how to apply, you know, kitchen medicine, you know, family medicine. Um, And then the holistic herbalism program is more of an in-depth herbalist training program. And that meets 
two full days a week for six months, April through October. Oh. Uh, and people move here, like from all over the country, to to come take this program. Yeah. It's I not should an mention that you're, you're you're near you're in the Asheville area, Asheville, North Carolina, which is a, a wonderful place to to you know live and yeah, um, very biodiverse. And if you want to learn about plants, it's a you know, and it has a you know you can you can be out there identifying and harvesting plants all all year, right? Right. I mean, but I forgot yeah. to mention there's one other program. I, I do these like wild medicine internships which is four saturdays in a row i do it once in the spring once in the fall and that's kind of like the in-person version of like what i do in the book it's like let's go out learn how to identify plants identify them talk about how to harvest them and then we'll harvest a few and make some medicine together over the course of like four weeks going to different places and seeing oh yeah what's it look like high elevation low elevation wet dry you know different places different ecosystems so that's fun too. Mm, yeah. I like cool. teaching that. Yeah. I have a few, uh, I have a I few friends who are, soon. <laughs> I know. Well, I have a few friends who are wanting to move to Asheville and they were talking about mm. that specific internship that you do. They're very oh, excited really? about it. So nice. Yeah. And that's at uh, blue Ridge school.org. And again, Southeast medicinal plants, identify harvest and use 106, 106 wild herbs for health and wellness available at, uh, at, at pinesherbals.com, your independent bookstore, wherever fine books are sold. Corey Pineshane, we've really, it's been an honor, and thank you so much for being with Tara and I on our mentor radio. Yes, thank Aww. you. Thank you, John. Thank you, Tara. It's been great talking with you. It's been, it's been really fun, actually. I really, really enjoyed, really enjoyed this podcast. Me too. Ah, it's so great to get to know you. Herb Mentor Radio is written and produced by John Gallagher and Tara Ruth. Visit HerbMentorRadio.com to subscribe on your favorite podcast app and for information on how to be part of our Herb Mentor online learning community. Herb Mentor Radio is a production of TheLearningHerbs.com LLC, all rights reserved. Thank you so much for listening.